This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Imagine this, you've got a friend who's a business owner and you haven't seen each other for a while, so you both decide to catch up for a drink. Arriving at the bar, you almost don't recognise them as you see your friend slouched in the corner with a tired and exhausted look. Despite its growth, their business is constantly plagued by crisis and instead of working on the business, your friend is stuck working in the business. So how do you overcome this all too common problem? Many startups encounter this with their ventures. A business is built on the entrepreneur's mind, filled with passion and grit. But somewhere along the journey, they become too invested in the operations and they lose track of the real goal. In today's episode, we're joined again by Darren Burke. Darren tells us about his book, The Fourth Moon, and how the journey towards your own fourth moon can help you regain control over your business. You'll learn the concepts of the four moons and how they relate to building a successful business. You will gain valuable knowledge on the significance of strategy, implementation, maintenance and leverage in achieving sustainable growth. He'll share how to keep your team engaged during the implementation process. And Darren will share his tips on how you can stop working in the business and start working on the business. Let's get started. Darren, thank you so much for joining me again on The Bottom Line today. We are really excited to have you back. I think the second guest we've had back on the show. So thank you for joining me again. We're going to discuss your book, The Fourth Moon. We touched on a tiny little bit when we last time when you were here. Tell me a little bit about the book and maybe more so what inspired you to write it. Look, it's very important from context to sort of introduce the book this way. So thanks for the opportunity. I'm a big reader, but I was a little bit flattened when I originally wanted to write a book because a lot of business owners are tired and busy, as I know you are, and they have books there to read. And the average number of books read apparently is one per year, normally purchased at an airport on a holiday. And so it's a tough audience, right? The other feedback I got was a lot of owners and entrepreneurs find that they sort of reading do this, do that self-help books can be a bit sort of banal for them. So I took on the challenge of writing nonfiction with character and metaphor. And so that was the framework for establishing the fourth moon. So the inspiration actually came from the famous inventor, philosopher, Galileo and his discovery of the four moons of Jupiter. So originally the world uh, church and state felt that the planets all revolved around the earth, but of course Galileo's discovery of the four moons of Jupiter basically reset history in discovering that we actually revolve around the moon, uh, around the sun I should say. And so that gave me the metaphor to start with and then when the four moons of Jupiter were able to appear and entrepreneurs could look through a new lens, the idea was that the four moons represented discovery and they represented a new focus and a new lens to look through. 
And each of the four moons of Jupiter lent themselves to the metaphor of the four moons being strategy, implementation, maintenance and leverage. And so by doing it this way, it took longer. It took me four and a half years, in fact, to write the book, which had I written it just in first person, it would have been probably a third of that, maybe two years. I had a publisher in um, Austin, Texas, and a wonderful editor and coaching team there. And so they really encouraged me to embrace the metaphor and to dare to be different in writing nonfiction with character and metaphor. And so that was the origins of the fourth moon. So take us through that. Like I've got another client that's got a book and it's quite a popular way of expressing yourself and getting your knowledge out there, especially with self-publications and stuff now. So take us a little bit more through that journey in four years. How many hours was it like? Yeah. The coaching that you got? There's sort of three three primary ways to write a book. There's what they call vanity publishing, which is the old school publishing of the physical copies and it's very expensive. And I did a lot of research. I went to a lot of seminars. I, I bought courses. I became a bit of a, a nut for a while in researching it because I wanted to get it right. So vanity pieces often sent people bankrupt. People were known to spend between several hundred thousand dollars in some cases in excess of a million. And um, I found that unbelievable. And then obviously some of the self-published material, you know, you can kind of feel it in its weight or it's a bit pithy in its context. So I didn't want to go that way. So having a hybrid model where I could have a traditional publisher in the States who would support me, back me, I would make a contribution, but ultimately I was able to get it away internationally. And then I was very big on having a hardcover book. And I also wanted to have evergreen. I'm very big with my clients about if you're going to create lifelong content, make it evergreen. And by that, I mean the messaging within the context of your book or your piece of art should outlast you. So rather than having something that is very time dependent or subject to time decay, having this metaphor and this methodology, it's just as relevant as when I wrote it then. So that made it easier to understand that I was in for the long haul of working on it longer. And if you said to me, you know, you asked me the question, Savan, how long it took, I would hate to think. I mean, (laughs) I was a chartered accountant. I've done philosophy. I've done business courses. I've done startup businesses. I've done coaching and mentoring. Easily the hardest thing I've ever done. Hours are well into the thousands. Wow. But that's what it takes, right, to produce the type of work that I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about my work being the greatest tome in the universe, but what I'm saying is if you want to be proud of what you produce and you want it to have that evergreen element to outlast you ideally. So let's get straight into it. Strategy, implementation, maintenance and leverage. Yeah. What we might do is just touch on the four moons and then I've got some questions for you around that and just I'd like you to sort of take our listeners through the journey of the four moons and your book and the philosophies that you talk about in your book. So let's start with strategy. Yeah. So with strategy, we're talking about a lot of startups and entrepreneurs and impatient, busy business owners they want to race straight to the good stuff, right? And so, and you would have that in your conversations, I'm sure, Savan. And my big point was, no, no, we need to call our jets, slow down and start with a strategy. What is the strategy? What are we working on? What are our big five goals? What is our game plan for the next 12 months, the medium term being the three to five years and the long term? What does our succession plan maybe look like? And once we sort of can document that strategy, I use a one-page strategic plan, well, then we can basically look at our strategy and say, okay, well, now that we've actually all agreed and documented what our strategy looks like, then we can move on to implementation. But we need to slow down and it takes as long as it takes to get that strategy. And we might want to have animated debate. You know, you and I have talked about with your colleagues, we want the greatest 
idea or solution to win, not the loudest speaker, right? And so often in private business, we have different personalities. And my whole idea is make the winner of the debate the meritorious idea, not the strongest or the loudest or the biggest or the oldest person. So getting owners to bed down that strategy is key before we do anything else. And implementation. So next step, you've got most of your strategy done. Do you have philosophy that you can go into implementation even if your strategy is 70, 80, 90% there? Yeah. Because I find that some people just think about strategy so much, yeah. they never get off the ground and get the thing done. Yeah. So when do you go move into implementation and how much time do you allow a business owner to be in strategy focus or strategy mode? I try and sort of bed that down in the first sort of three months working with somebody. At the moment, I'm recasting all of my future fin year work at the moment in this June quarter that we're speaking in. So April, May and June are our strategy quarters, okay? So pretty much I set it up like a season. If we were starting work with someone now in this June quarter, we'd try and get the strategy drafted for the future financial year coming up and then we would basically launch that with the team in July we would then implement that with the team and get that away on monthly and quarterly timelines. And then we'd have a Q1 update, a half year update, a Q3 update, and then we'd wrap the financial year at the end of June. So implementation looks at the 12 months ahead as the hot area with our big five goals. And it's really about getting everybody in the organisation on the bus and looking at, you know, I've got a thing in the book that I talk about called the stakeholder quadrant. So the four stakeholders are obviously our shareholders, our customers, our employees, and our suppliers. And so we want to make sure that the plan delivers for all of those four key parties. So implementation, you're right about it not being perfect. If you wait too long to get 100% surety and buy-in, time passes and so we're subject to time decay. I remember Colin Powell, who was a US general, I think he was, in their forces, and he talked about the ideal, the minimum point on strategy is at the 70% point. Mm. So 70, so sort of 80, 85, 90 is the window I reckon that you can operate within. But the big thing I'm anti is don't jump around and change strategy month on month, quarter on quarter. Real trap for not just young players but experienced players because where is the line? Where is the strategy? You can retrofit things and trick yourself and kid yourself in terms of backfitting data and performance and then you really lose track of where the benchmark was set back when we set off on sailing into the new financial year. And in terms of maintenance and leverage, you go into implementation, you're in maintenance mode and maintenance define that. Is that just the day-to-day things that you do to execute the strategy? I'm really glad that you stopped on this point because it's probably the unsexiest of the four Mm. moons, but possibly the most important because you can't get to the fourth moon of leverage if you don't get the maintenance right. So what I find with people is they get really enthused at the strategy stage and we're workshopping and we're crunching all this plans and it's very exciting. And then we get into implementation phase and they carry that drive and that excitement into implementation. And then there's this little period where they flatline a little bit and then they say, oh, when will we get these great results? When do we get to the fourth moon? It's like, well, maintenance is actually about it takes as long as it takes right because you've been in business no one definitively knows how long i generally say that excluding a startup pretty much it'll take three to five to eight years to really go from sort of infancy to adolescence to maturity and locking in success and by success i mean five years of back-to-back sustained performance not just one big year and then that second year blues kicks in so 
my thing with maintenance is maintenance is actually about having not necessarily the leaders but good point people around you both internally and externally who hold you to account as a gatekeeper for maintaining our game plan, maintaining our strategy. So it's things like somebody to ensure that our internal meeting regime is running seamlessly and all the meetings are held. There are action items captured and there are follow-ups. We have a personnel system and we meet up one-to-one either monthly or quarterly or biannually with all of our team members and have that critical HR or personnel piece. We commit to our strategies and we actually execute what we agreed in the implementation phase that we would do, not talking to it and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that, actually doing it. So maintenance is one of those areas where sometimes it can be a little bit of a thankless task for the people doing it, but I can simply say without having the disciplines around maintenance, you will not get to the fourth moon and you will not get to that leverage point. We love leverage and we always talk about businesses, not only just leverage, but scale. So yes. what we want to do is leverage what we've built in terms of the foundations and then scale that. So let's talk about leverage because leverage is in the book talks about how you can then take the business from one level to another. Yes. So when we get to the fourth moon, is leverage and scale the same thing or are they different? Leverage is more holistic, but it certainly includes scale. So if we just peel back the leverage, I split it into basically what I call tangibles and intangibles. So the typical tangibles are you meet a a business owner and they're stuck as maybe they've bought a job. By that I mean they're just earning a wage and they're not really making any commercial return. In as far as the levels that you mentioned, I like to see the SME owners sort of in these windows of sort of, you know, these tiers of income on the tangible side. So that might be um, earning 300000 getting to half a million. The next level might be half a million to a million and then a million plus. And so I like to sort of see where they want to fit. So what does the business look like when it's finished? Mm. So that's tangibles. The other tangibles from a non-monetary side is what's the attraction that we want to attract to our business in terms of talent? How much do we want to pay our people? How do we want to reward them? The tangibles might be how many hours I want to work a week. I might meet a workaholic and I say, Darren, I'm working 65 hours as well as earning more money. I need you to bring it back to 40-hour work weeks. Now, I've done that many times, right? That's particularly interesting. On the intangible side, now we're talking about I want to be less stressed. I want to have better relationships. I want to have a better relationship with my family. I want to have a better relationship with my business partners and my staff. They're the things that we talk about with leverage that aren't fiscal or aren't tangible, but we can measure them with our heart and with our mind and with our observation and obviously observational feedback from others. So it's not just about more money. It's about how do I kind of get both? And I always say that some people want both and some people are more holistic in terms of their tangible attractions and their intangibles. And so that's a matter for the individual, but leverage is about both. So in the book, you talk about the importance of continuous improvement and adaptation. How can business owners stay relevant and adaptable in a constantly changing business landscape? My big thing at the moment, I suppose, post-COVID is be curious, right? It all starts with curiosity. And I also say to people, you know, we've all got to attend the university of life, right? So it never stops. I never stop learning. I constantly get surprised when I hear otherwise intelligent people talking about how they stopped reading or stopped learning or stopped studying or stopped being curious many years ago. And they're just kind of maintaining their technical chops, perhaps, or their um, old run rate. And I think that's problematic because obviously as we move forward in time, there's new obstacles, there's new challenges, there's new threats. 
So if you're maintaining your old run rate, how are you going to navigate a evolving, changing path as you move forward? So this is where the possibly the most important part of the fourth moon metaphor comes to being and it fits in exactly with what you're talking about. And that is, is the metaphor of the fourth moon is we don't get to the fourth moon, put the hammock out and lie down indefinitely. Mm. We take stock that we are in leverage and we are on the fourth moon and we have achieved what we want to achieve. But, of course, when we have an emerging issue, we orbit the moons back to the fourth moon, we retweak our strategy, we tweak the implementation of that change, we then put in the maintenance piece to make sure that we hold that new piece of strategy and then we travel back to the fourth moon metaphorically having done that. So do you see the, the mm. power of that orbiting so that it's not a destination that is fixed and forever, it is the place we want to spend most of our time but we certainly orbit back to the moons to change up because obviously we're always tweaking and modifying our strategy. And with that ever-changing world, the most recent being the fast-paced AI implementation of software changes that's coming, I think that's where business owners need to sort of think about it and go, well, hold on, how will that impact my business? Go back to strategy and, Absolutely. and have a look at that. That's awesome. Now, the fourth one is not just about achieving success for yourself. You talked about stakeholders. One of that is your employees, your team. How important is that positive and supportive work culture in putting together a strategy or and or the success of the business. Yeah, it's key. And I, I know you and I spoke about this last time, Savant, and it's probably 10x since COVID, right? Mm. And you and I were talking about this. And I think what's really prevalent is the people that have been more early adopters of this in the past are probably ahead of the curve moving forward. And by that I mean, at the moment, I am being bombarded by inquiries around profit share and incentives and equity models and all sorts of interesting things. And um, it's hot and it's as hot as I've seen it. And the reason is, is that with a displaced workforce and people working from home and all of the challenges around tech and everything else, all of those people post-COVID from an employee or an outsourcing contractor point of view are all looking at, why am I here? What are you doing to engage me? Why should I be here when I may have six other choices available to me beyond money? Okay, so the money piece, we should just be nailing straight off paying at or above market. But it's those other things that you touched on. And it doesn't mean we are all things to all people, but we should be debating it and daring ourselves to task ourselves with a challenge of how do I actually bring in these methodologies to attract the best talent and get the greatest engagement and empowerment and productivity from those key people? Because at the end of the day, we don't get to determine who wins here. Our clients and customers do. And the jury's out at the moment. The lag is in such a phase now where all of the rhetoric's been around the employees and the contractors and the owners. But that's going to soon pass to the customers and clients saying, hey, Savan, you know, I'm not getting the run rate that I used to get from you or I need more from you. And so we need to go back and make sure that the team behind us is delivering our products and services on time, cost and quality. The fourth moon is not just about profits and so on, as we talked about the team, but also creating a valuable business. And can you talk through sort of how business owners can create that sustainable growth? Is it going through the cycles and orbiting the fourth moons over and over again and being in leverage for multiple times that creates the value? Talk through us about the value creation in a business. The repeating of the process and the the practicing of this hack or tactic or methodology over, let's say, a period of three to five years and beyond, I would argue indefinitely. It means that you, A, have the model, so you're not chopping and changing and going to seminars and rechanging your model all the time. 
And there's something about, I'm very big at the moment about pattern recognition. So once you go through this cycle a number of times over a number of years, it becomes like muscle memory. Mm. And so when you're setting up the season, you can be purely in the moment of being strategic. So in the June quarter, April, May, June, when we're doing our strategy, our budgets, our planning, our appraisals, our pay rises, all our reviews, and we're going potentially on retreat, when we come back and launch it with the team in July, we really don't have to think about the how because the how is basically following the bouncing ball on how we cycle through the season, the season being a financial year. In Australia here, it's July to June. That's the key point. But then by extension, that's the micro. The macro of your question is the value proposition is, is that once you put this in place, if you're then offering this or looking at your succession plan, rather than having to spend, I've got a friend who buys and sells businesses and he says often he takes five years to get a business away, which people get amazed by when mm. you tell them, they go, oh, I just thought I'd sell it in one year. But if somebody's doing this already, you've got the methodology in place. So basically what should be happening is you should have optimised your org chart and your team. You should have predictable profits that you can show a potential buyer. You are open to potentially looking at alternative sales methods in terms of potential management buyouts or whether it's a you might retain some equity in the business over an extended period of time with a minority shareholder. It opens you up to a whole other range. Now, obviously, as you well know, people are paying a baseline predictable profit figure times a multiple that we multiply that profit by. And what I find is, is that people that adopt this methodology, not only have they already increased their profit figure from potentially a couple of hundred grand to maybe half a million to a million dollars being the baseline profit figure, but the multiple that someone offers you, instead of you coming into a, an absolute mess of a business where they might give you two to three times your profit, these businesses might get closer to four, maybe five plus that profit because when the owner walks in, they see the methodology and they just go, okay, I just have to plug this in. You go, yeah, it's all there. And all the people are staying because they're all rewarded, remunerated, engaged and so on. Almost suppliers are committed to guaranteed supply because I respect our relationship and our customers and clients are committed to staying on board because we're so committed to them as a stakeholder. So do you see how that changes everything in regard to that potential exit plan and that sales multiple? And the value that you've created along the journey. And maybe when you first go through the moons, value is probably the last, maybe not the last thing, but sometimes is not thought of at that point in time. Sure. But doing the repetitions yes. and going through that journey ultimately creates the value. Yeah. I want to talk about a question I have more for me. This is one I need some help here and advice. We're going through our quarter. It's May in Australia as we're recording at the moment and we're about to launch our strategy in July. So that's when we normally do it as well. What I find is is you get sort of you launch a strategy, put together a PowerPoint, you know, you have your your vision, your purpose, your strategic pillars, your values, all that kind of stuff. It goes on a nice PowerPoint, you sell it to the team. And you get this sort of uplift of excitement. You know, all the people know the vision, they understand what the strategy is. And you know, might have some staff come and go. And over time, you get into the whirlwind and day-to-day -day happens. The question is, is how do we maintain and keep that excitement and keep that strategy going? Is it having before every meeting? talking about, you know, the strategy might have a name, so you say it out loud or do you read out your values or is it is a, do you have a mural in your kitchen that talks about your strategy and values? How do you keep your team engaged in the strategy and that build a business around or the day-to-day -day around executing that strategy 
with the strategy in mind and it doesn't become a document that sits on the, yes. the top drawer in your office. So can you give me some help around that as I launch our strategy in July? Singularly one of the greatest points of failure once you set sail. So you've absolutely nailed one of the watchouts. So it's about keeping it in front and you're dead right about the what I call the documents that are dust collectors. It's a real <laughs> worry. And even the digital side, as much as the the younger people love their digital documents, when they're hidden in a folder, they're anything but visible, right? And when you're busy, do you go in there and open up that folder and, and look at it again? Probably not in reality, if we're going to be honest. So how do we keep it alive? Right. So we have our launch in July. We then let people know that that's the public launch of it and then we dovetail their annual appraisals behind the launch whereby we will talk to you in your annual appraisal about how our new plan is influenced by your role and how the connectivity. So you've got to create that connectivity for the individual. So the appraisals should follow the launch of the plan because they've had a group setting where they've heard it and now I'm having my one-on-one, the most important meeting I'm having with you as my team member, post that to explain because if I can't explain to you the connectivity between our overall macro plan for the organisation and the role that you play in it at your level for the year ahead in your role within the organisation, then there's a disconnect. So that's the first thing. And then in terms of your question around how we keep it alive, basically we have our weekly team meetings where we might touch on any wins or challenges or obstacles in the plan so that we can do that. The monthly team meeting, which is critical, should have a actual agenda item, which is strategic plan update that lives within the monthly team meeting. And then obviously I mentioned the quarterlies where we have the quarterly mini town halls over pizza or something like that, where we have the queue update. So Q1 in review in October. And what does Q2 look like? Late January, early February, half year review, April Q3 review and the rolling quarter out. And then not only do we do the launch next year, but we do the year in review being the wrap. And then if you want to sort of think about how does that all stay alive beyond that, really it's about having that set up in your calendar and having another maintenance gatekeeper who makes sure it's all propagated in the diary so that we don't get so busy where, oh, we haven't spoken about that. Oh, we missed Q2. We missed Q1. Too long. Time decays. We're only talking about a handful of times over a whole year. So this is the way. And I think the theme in the plan is really important. For us Aussies, we're, the Americans don't take themselves too seriously, so they, they're sort of very rah-rah. Aussies are a bit more down to earth. So my big thing is if you are going to have a theme, make it a theme that is quotable and that you don't wince when you say it and people don't roll their eyes. And the theme should be with collective buy-in. So when we're having the June quarter with our think tanks, extend the idea of the theme beyond the the directors and beyond the key managers because if we can get the buy-in from everybody on the theme, we can use that in meetings as shorthand. I'll just give you an easy example. Say we're talking about a startup. The theme might just be survival, right? We've got cash burn of six months. If we don't last, we die and we'll just be dead on the side of the highway, roadkill. But if it's survival and someone's wanting to change the letterhead or play around with station, you say, hey, Savant, survival. survival. I love it. it. That's it, right? Yeah. Or if it's going from, say, adolescence to maturity, then if we're taking short-term decisions and we're trying to go to maturity, we might be looking at our medium-term plan. Just say, maturity, we need to be more medium-term focused. Is that a medium-term strategy or is that a short-term strategy? Do you see how you can use shorthand to bring everybody back? And in that moment... We're all back on, oh, that's right, that's what it means. But if we don't buy into the theme, 
then there's a dilution of the messaging. Yeah, I like the theme. I like the just even the meetings, uh, having the strategic plan update, even if it's just you know a couple of words in every meeting that you have. Your one on ones talks about how is your role back to your strategy, and and then the quarterly check ins. It's a review strategy. And the meeting is about reviewing the strategy and what we've done. So all these little check-ins keep us on the path ahead. That's really, really exciting. My last question is just on that strategy in terms of when you create it, how many people do you need? So let's say you've got an ownership of three or four people. You might have four or five leaders within the organization that support the owners how many people do you need to report, not report to, but ask for their opinions and sure. get them in? How engaged do you need to get the employees and the staff inside of the strategy preparing an implementation phase? I break it into three tiers. I sort of, if you think of a house, a triangular house, so up the top we've got our shareholders and senior management. In the middle we've got our middle management and then let's call the bottom level being operations. There's two parts to this. So in terms of the tiers, I like to have the middle management and the owner senior management levels involved in the planning. I invite the middle management to, in advance of our workshopping of strategy, to get informal feedback and general context from their operational frontline workers. If they're good middle managers, they should be doing that anyway. Mm. But you give them a heads up, you know, three months in advance that we'll be meeting and I'll be looking for you to include context and input from your direct reports. And then part B to the question is, people said to me, oh, how do we launch the plan? Because obviously in the war room with a senior team, it might go every right down to the, the operating profit line and it might have all these other things in there around our wealth creation and so on. And what I say is, generally speaking, there's three versions of the plan at the team launch level. There's the senior manager owners level, which is probably warts and all in the plan. There is a a secondary version for middle management that might be down to a gross profit line or something like that, excluding the operating profit and excluding any private shareholder items. And then in terms of the team, I recommend that you try and steer clear of PowerPoint as best you can with the operational frontline workers. They just get lost. Yeah. And so it's overwhelming for them. So the big thing is I would say with the operational team members, you just talk to the plan. So you might have the plan here as a presenter and then you invite your CEO to give the state of the, or your managing director to give the state of the nation speech and the, and the year in review, then you make your team members the heroes. So then you present your general manager, commercial manager, operations manager to present a part of the year ahead outlook in terms of the plan. You then might have your CFO or financial controller to talk to some of the fiscal parts of the plan. You have your sales or BD champion internally to speak to the, the outlook on that. And then you've got to let the launch, too many people, there's a tendency to load it right up to pussy's bow in terms of the timing, allow an hour at the end for open forum. And then people say, oh, but what if no one says anything? It could be really awkward. Oh, well, we provided the forum, right? So it's not about us to make those people ask all these questions. It's to provide a forum where people can be curious. And the idea is, is that the most junior person in the organisation should go away knowing our top three to five goals. And that's it. Yeah. So if we can achieve that, we've won. And I did just want to circle back quickly because there was one little point I omitted before with you. How do you get the take up with the strategy throughout the year? There's a little twist or a little tactical hack that I've introduced in the last two years that I've found really useful. By making your goals where you can projects, I've actually mm. implemented having project teams around the top goals. And so then we basically have a project champion, a 2IC, 
and then project team members. And then we're meeting on those projects on kind of like a rolling fortnightly basis away from the ops meetings and everything else. And so that's been a game changer because then when the project champion can report to the whole team on the project and if the project champion's away, the 2IC learns to run those meetings and we have a very simple project template and we write, we just change all of the action items to green when they're done and they're amber when they're not done and they're red when they're delegated or dropped. And I'm just seeing some amazing things for that. And clients have been reporting that that's been a game changer because the projects actually get to live in their project meetings and stuff happens. Darren, thank you so much for sharing a glimpse of The Fourth Moon. For those listeners that haven't read the book, how do you actually get a copy of the book? We are going to give some away. Sure. But if you're not fortunate enough to get the ones that we're giving away, how do they get a copy of the book? So for domestic purchases, you can just simply go to my website, Darren K. Burke, B-O-U-R-K-E.com, and there's a link to the book on the website. It's also available on Amazon. And I highly recommend it. I read it about four or five years ago when I first met you. You gave me a copy at that time, and I read it again in, in preparation for today's episode. So I want to say to our listeners, if you've got some time, have a read. It's a really good read and one I really thoroughly enjoyed. And again, thank you, Darren, for joining me on The Bottom Line. Thanks for the opportunity of having me. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.